Welcome to the Everyday Peacemaking Podcast. I'm Oshita Moore. And I'm Jer Swigert. Join us as we grow our imaginations for joining God and others in mending divides. Fear runs deep, spreading like a virus. Hate is cheap. From afar it costs you nothing. Sister, take my hand. Brother, we will stand. Open up. Hey, Jer. It's 2024. Yikes. I was on TikTok the other day and the TikTok started with somebody being like, you guys, this has been the hardest six months of the year. I can't believe it. And then you can hear somebody off camera say, it's only January. And I love that TikTok so much because that's a little bit how I feel mm-hmm. at this point in the year. Like so much has happened and And I'm actually really grateful that you and I are coming together. This is our first conversation of 2024, talking about just how we're coming into this year, how we're coming into this space, having had some time to really live into the resolutions or intentions, if you will, that we set on in late December. We had a whole month of seeing how it really pans out in our actual lived lives and helping us kind of determine what kind of peacemakers we want to be in 2024. So that's just going to be just the heart of this conversation. We are Mm -hmm. talking about how we're coming into 2024, the kind of peacemakers we want to be, and then how we want to live that out. So, Jer, how are you coming in? Yeah, yeah. I think I'd even just start with reflecting on how I started the year, you know, and because of all that was happening in Israel and Gaza and continues to unfold, specifically in the Gaza Strip, I think I was crawling into the holiday season and you know frankly the holidays didn't feel great it was super somber for me and my family was a space of really much needed break and rest but i'll tell you it's really and i imagine that many of us can resonate with this it's really hard to rest and to celebrate when you know that violence just continues to unfold like there's no vacation from violence as a matter of fact it accelerated in that time you know so the holiday season and the end of 2023 was somber and Mm. I felt like I was oscillating between despair and discouragement and was really came into 2024 struggling as an optimist, as an undying optimist, as you know, really struggling to hold on to hope and hold on to, to any kind of, any kind of optimism. And it's in that, that friends from around my city and around the country and around the world as we were in conversations with one another, as I listened to them from the spaces of pain and suffering, hold on to hope. It Mm. did something inside of me. And so I think it just speaks to the power of community and the beloved community and our interdependence and our interconnection. It's like we have hope for one another. Maybe when someone's struggling to hold on to hope, we have hope for them. We hold it for them. And at times I know that I've been able to do that for others. And I really experienced that coming into this new year. I really resonate with your sentiment around, you know, we have to move beyond resolutions and intentions. So before I I think a little bit more practical and embodied uh, around 2024, and at least how I'm thinking about it, can we talk a little bit about that? Because I just feel like, I feel like the new year always gets a really bad rap around big intentions. And then it's like the intentions that everybody knows they're just going to fail at. 
Yeah. And I think you and I, in our conversations, we're grappling with the notion that if the world is going to be remade, we have got to move beyond unrealized resolutions and good intentions. We have to become the peacemakers who take intentions and goals and actually build some embodied strategy around them. And so, so let's talk about the difference between resolution, intention, and embodiment, you know, and I'm curious how you're thinking about that. Yeah, no, I, for the longest, I was a full on resolution kind of person. I loved the big energy between Christmas Day and New Year's Day of like creating a vision board, like signing up for something new, like new year, new me, you know, see that I have created a new thing. Like I really loved that energy. What I found though is that energy cannot sustain me for the full Mm -hmm. 365 days that are ahead of me when the new year starts. And I also found that I was quite naive in that one week of planning that Mm -hmm. my actual lived life, you know, it's like you don't anticipate or expect the life that you have been living or the limitations you've already been having to creep in and derail you from those intentions. And for me, I always... I'm so optimistic about, oh, well, if I just change this one thing, then I won't have this limitation or this problem. But then I found that setting intentions actually set me up for a lot of discouragement and heartbreak and shame. Mm. So for the longest, I've moved away from resolutions into this idea of intention, which feels like resolution light. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, I'm just going to make a word or just kind of like a general posture of the upcoming year. But that didn't have the same sort of like grit and like the same sort of desire for action or Mm -hmm. vision for action that Mm -hmm. resolution. So for me, intention and resolution, they've never really fully helped me live into the year as a realistic, honest, embodied peacemaker. So I actually really love to at this point of the year, now that I'm out of the like collective energy of new year, new us, and have a good sense of like the kind of posture, the kind of values that are really important to me in this year settle in my mind for Mm -hmm. several weeks i've been thinking about it i really super love coming into the month of february like now actually saying okay this is the work that we're going to do and what's Mm -hmm. interesting is that it kind of lines up with lint lint is coming up in a week and that's a time of intentionality you know that is collective but it's more centered around like our formation into christ likeness So for us, I think it's important to remember that these are not just intellectual conversations we're having. These are not dreams that we are having. This is not us being Pollyannish or optimistic. Mm -hmm. Like this is us actually being embodied, like doing Mm -hmm. the work of peacemaking right in our context. And so we have to remember that in forming whatever things we decide that we want to change or we want to move towards. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that so much. One of the practices that I've engaged in over the last decade is what I just call retrospect. And what that means is I actually take a look at, I use the tools of my Google calendar and my photo stream. And and I pay attention to the marking moments that were good and that were hard, that were challenging, that were celebratory throughout the previous year. And I'm asking myself the question, how did those experiences and relationships actually transform me? Mm. How, How are they informing my becoming. But I'm also looking for what, where were the obstacles and how did I overcome some of the obstacles? How did I avoid some of the obstacles? Because I'm not coming into the new year. It's not new year, new me. It's new year, 
same old me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. Saying? yeah. And I and I feel like it's helpful to be sober about that truth so that we can be new year, maybe same me or like becoming me. And so in my retrospect process, I'm looking at the journey of formation that I've been moving through over the past year. And I'm trying to pay attention to how I want to see that continue in 2024. You know, so new year transforming me, new year becoming me or becoming a better version of me, you know, and then that helps me start to go, okay, how do I need to shape my life? And what are some of the decisions I need to make to continue to place myself in environments and in relationships that are going to refine me, challenge me, transform me? You know, and so I, I think that and that's even that, that will inform some of the thoughts that I have around 2024 today. What's interesting about the way that you describe that is that the process that I have is like so different because I have sort of like New Year, same God. So like I do mm. a version of the daily examine, but I look back over my year with the questions of the examine. So when did I experience consolation? When, how did I experience mm-hmm. God's presence? Where did I experience desolation? Where did I feel distant from God or miss an opportunity from God? What are the invitations from God in the upcoming year that I am hopeful about or that I am excited about or Mm -hmm. that I'm sensing a peace around? Like, so for me, I love to do the examine. And I guess, you know, because we're two different personality types, but like for me, I feel so much more equipped moving into the year as an embodied peacemaker knowing that God is right alongside me. So that's why the examine is such an important yeah. practice. Because the examine for me is like just God and me sitting down and looking back over, here is January, here is February, yeah. here is this moment. Then I know that when I mess up or when I have a shortcoming or when I am overwhelmed or whatever, I am still held by God whose idea for peace and peacemaking like originated. It was mm-hmm. God's idea first, right? And here's the another one of the commonalities, I think, between our processes, I guess, concluding a year and looking forward into a new one is there is a process of self-reflection here. When you and I are training peacemakers, we are constantly elevating self-reflection as a critical practice. It's a critical competency because it's in the practice of self-reflection that we see the world as it is. We see ourselves as we are. You know, we develop a more sober analysis of what's going on and it's a meaning-making process. And so for those of us listening in and are listening in for like real-time, super practical ways to embody the life, love, and leadership of everyday peacemaking, self-reflection, actually slowing your life down enough to pay attention to what has been, what is, and imagining what will come is really important to that. And so, so... in that direction, I've written down some things that, as I've been of thinking about you have. this conversation. <laughs> there, there's a few ways which, I, uh, you know, again, here we are a month and a half into 2024, and it's been marked by some really dynamic experiences already for me and, and then shaped some of the ways that I'm thinking about the way that I want to be a peacemaker into the rest of this year. On the one hand, there have been two really potent experiences of being misunderstood. Already in in the first month and a half of our year, those two experiences have reinforced for me the, the importance of relationship, the importance of leaning in, the importance of resilience, how fragile trust is, how hard it is to build trust and how quickly it can dissipate. I'm also grappling with with the notion of being misunderstood. 
and mm-hmm. and the discomfort with being misunderstood and how quickly the inertia inside of me is to defend myself or to offer a better understanding. And sometimes that's possible and sometimes that's not. And so there's some stuff to pull out of those two experiences. And then the other experiences, I I literally just returned home from the front lines of the revolution in Burma. And um, and we'll talk more about that experience, you know, soon on on some episodes here of the podcast, because I think there's a lot to unpack from being on the front lines of that level of violent conflict and but the crossover the parallels the skills that i deployed and the lessons learned on the front lines of that war are the same skills that we need to deploy i think in the front lines of our own conflicts Mm -hmm. and so you know the context of those experiences i think shapes some of the way that i'm thinking about 2024 and so here's some of them and just I'm anxious to hear you interact with them and then I want to hear yours and let's play around with them. Okay. So okay. first and foremost, in a year already marked by antagonism, obviously this being an election year and the anxiety is high. We live in a fuseless society. I'm all already hearkening back to, I think some of my posture in 2015, 2016, when things felt kind of like they feel right now, you know, and I'm listening to the wavelengths and people talking about what we're against, what we're against. The anti-movement is real. And yeah. and it's the energy and the juice of that movement is just kind of intoxicating and and for me, nauseating. And so as I'm thinking about 2024 personally and even organizationally for Global Immersion, I'm thinking about this being a year where I am choosing to be radically for. Mm. I'm for, and and most specifically, I'm for you. Now, I might not, I might not agree with your ideology. I might not agree with some of your practices. I might not agree with some of the things that you're representing or speaking into the world. I can disagree with some of those things and still be for you. And for me, in in that case, if I'm going to actually live that, then I have got to be somebody who moves beyond the slogans and the bumper stickers and the social media posts and my own premature conclusions about you. I have to move beyond those things into proximity with you. And I have to seek to understand. I have to, and this is very practical, moving toward my ideological other, utilizing the shared tables that already exist in my city, or that mm-hmm. exist electronically in the context of Zoom or other platforms to proactively move toward my ideological other seeking to understand rather than to be understood. In order to do that for me, I have to bring some mindsets to bear. First and foremost, I am beloved and so are you. Mm-hmm. I'm a friend worth having and so are you. Third, I am not defined by the most violent thing I've ever done or said and neither are you. Right. You know, fourth, there are core values that exist behind your ideology and the way that you're presenting yourself. And if I carry those kinds of mindsets into relationship or into proximity, at least with my ideological other, it actually reduces my heart rate. It reminds me that I'm not there to conquer or to convince this person of the superiority of my own ideas. Mm -hmm. I'm there to be curious using questions like, tell me more or help me understand. You know, and so like, I, I think personally, and then rip on this, because I want to hear what you think. I, I, I think that the, 
in the moment that we find ourselves in that is so divided by difference, where interpersonal fractures in relationships define this moment in time, where people are actually finding, they're sprinting towards sameness and people who are just like them, few of us are actually searching for the tools to bridge ideological difference. I think one of the most countercultural, Jesus-looking things that we can do is become the kinds of people and peacemakers who are actively pursuing proximity with people who think differently than us and demonstrate to them with our posture, with our face, with our questions that we're for them. So that's primary for me as I'm thinking about 2024. I want it to be a year marked by forness. I am for you. And I want every person that I come in contact with, whether I agree with them or they agree with me or not, I want them at least to know that dude is for me. Okay, but yes, Jer. Yes and amen. There's an incredible amount of work that you have had to do on yourself to be able to enter into that space, into those spaces with that level of confidence and that level of forness because you are not worried about protecting yourself. You've worked through a lot of trauma. You're a very healthy eight on the Enneagram. And I love that. I'm also curious, like, does the work of I want to be for someone mean that you have to get to a place to do some of that work on yourself, to be able to be grounded in your belovedness, to be able to not be shaken to the core of your identity? Because somebody who you are for, who you disagree with, is going to say something that is offensive to you. There is an intentionality. And maybe this goes back to our thing about self-reflection. There is an intentionality that you have to have, that I have to have. So like, Me, as a person of color, when I talk about bridging that divide, I can only do that from a grounded, healthy space. And I can only do that if I know that I'm going to show up in that space for a certain amount of time, pull back, tend to my soul, tend Mm -hmm. to my wounds, be with God about it, and then go back into it. Not to say that like my leaning in is more traumatic or harder, but it's different. So I would say yes. And I would say this for across the board, like, For my white ally friends who are so heartbroken over what they see and they care so much about their dad who is just spouting hateful things and they go into these conversations without having done that self-reflective work, without having to do that work on grounding and belovedness, not doing that work of changing the wind so it's not to get you to agree, but it's so that we can agree that we belong to each other and then we can circle back to this conversation Mm -hmm. over and over again until we start moving closer to each other. Mm -hmm. ideologically, I think it just requires, and that's part of, maybe that's even part of the intention work. Mm -hmm. I want to be a bridge builder. I want to be the one that mend the divides. I want to be the one that moves towards my theological other, or like I say, my enemy. My enemy is the person who's right on the other side of my empathy. Mm -hmm. So I want to move to a place of empathy for somebody who I would say, I would never do that. But I also think that requires you being able to sit and say, then what do I need internally like what do i need to be able to do that well so that when i'm actually in it i'm not thrown mm-hmm. yeah yeah i and i actually think our process sounds similar being for someone and this is couched in our larger conversation that we had through our virtual immersions and through our podcast for the second half of last year about being pro-human you yeah. know expanding the circle of human concern as john a powell talks a lot about and as you have taught me around expanding the reach of my empathy If I'm going to love my enemy, I need to get close enough to understand my enemy. If I'm going to transform an enemy to a friend, that has a lot more to do with me and 
I think my work, the growth of my heart, if you will, or the reach of my empathy Mm -hmm. than it does about the change of their posture. Mm -hmm. You know, in so doing, I've had to grapple a ton with my disgust with ideologies that hurt people. But I've been in this work long enough to recognize that trading rhetorical barbs and trying to convince one another of the superiority of our ideas is not the way to adjust anybody's ideology. It's the way to entrench it further. Yes. 100%. If as I'm following Jesus and as the circle of human concern is growing and as the reach of empathy is expanding, which I pray that it actually is, I actually do believe that we need to interrogate our ideologies and we need to ask some questions about the ways in which we embody our values. I'm just becoming more convinced that screaming at people, it's not a successful way of doing it. It's not changing. It's not working. It hasn't worked since 2015. And I would argue decades, generations before then. Mm -hmm. So like, how do I tend to my own disgust with ideologies that crush people so that when I'm with a person and they spout that ideology, it doesn't create bile in the back of my throat. Mm. It, It creates compassion. And it makes me want to understand the stories that have shaped the values that lead to that ideology. You know, for me, this just simply is requiring a lot slower pace, a lot more presence. I think a right sizing of what's possible in one conversation or a series of conversations. Now, I want to be clear that I'm not also masochistic where I just want to put myself in environments where I'm being torched or lit up by people who think differently than me. But I've also seen enough friendships emerge with ideological others who introduce me to their friends, to their people, and they'll say things like, we don't see eye to eye, but he loves my kids. Yeah, Or we don't see eye to eye, but we've shared a lot of tables together. Or some people, you know, they'll introduce me as like their kooky friend who they fundamentally disagree with, but gosh, they kind of like, you know? And it's like, that's the currency of trust is beginning to grow. Again, my objective is not to convert or convince anybody of anything. It's to invite people to embody their values in ways that repair rather than dominate. I have to noodle on that because... There is a part of me, as you were talking, that is like, yes and amen. And then there is also a part of me of like, yes, but, you know, these conversations about ideologies move us into conversations about policy that move us into conversation about repairing or resisting oppression, relieving oppression. And so I think this is the question that an agile peacemaker must ask themselves when they're entering into these spaces with their ideological other. What is the goal here? You know, if the goal is for me to remind myself that we are for each other, that you belong to me, to move you from that outer ring of enemy into that that closer ring, not best friendship, but like a closer ring into friend, then maybe... The purpose of the conversation, the purpose of the time spent at the table is that humanizing work. But like if I am having a conversation with somebody who is an arbiter of one of these systems of oppression, who has influence and they're spouting out ideology that is very dangerous, I personally am curious, do we have a responsibility of speaking truth to power and saying, 
actually, like, I know that you're beloved. Actually, I see the humanity in you. Actually, I know that you've done a lot of work around this. But because of the position that you hold and because of what that position does to people that are oppressed, I'm going to tell you, you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think that is that that's the agility of peacemaking that we have yeah. to have that is fully reliant on the spirit and spaces where we can bounce off with other wiser, more, more seasoned peacemakers and say, should I dive into this or should I not? You know? Yeah. I'd love to hear your perspective on this because I think I've heard you say to me before, you've been one of the primary inviters for me to live into the privilege that's etched into my body because I can hold meetings with ex-influencer that maybe somebody else can't. Yeah. This is a unique conversation around where are our spaces? You know, so far I've been talking more just interpersonally people in my life, whether it's family or neighbors or maybe even some city leaders or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Some of us are actually designed to build the kinds of relationships with power brokers where you can speak truth to power and change to society. The question is, are we doing it in a way that they can hear it and understand it? So on the one hand, exactly. I'm all about protest movement. I'm all about nonviolent direct action. I'm all about all of those things. But I've found them to be especially effective when there are peacemakers doing the relational currency of trust building with those power brokers who after the protest is over or even while the protest is still happening is in closed door conversations with them, doing some interpreting and meaning making with them and doing so in a way that is informed largely by the costly solidarity that we're in with the people who are being marginalized by the abuse of power and are the ones doing the protesting. What you're describing right now is exactly why I have enrolled in a movement chaplaincy training program this year, because I do think that there needs to be more spaces and more people who are kind of holding that in-between space of there are the prophets who are speaking truth to power to those brokers, those arbiters of those systems. And then there are the teachers or the ones who are saying like, this is what's actually going on, bring a lot of like data information. But there aren't a whole lot of people who hold that middle space of interpreting like, This is actually like what's going on. Here's how I see the work that you've been doing. And I can see the value for life in this policy that you're passionate about. Um, Here's what the expansiveness of it looks like. Here how it affects all kinds of lives. I think that you're right, that there needs to be kind of all of us working in concert in our unique calling as peacemakers to move on the hearts of those who are over those systems who often are like really defensive. They're really ready to be told how horrible they are, how wrong they are. But when we show up as a presence of belovedness, of calling out the good in them, of inviting them into a dignifying and respectful conversation in a variety of ways, I think that can move the needle forward towards justice. So yeah, it's so tricky though, Jer. That's like a perfect beginning, like embodied plan for peacemaking that you have because like, here's the idea, here's how you've seen it work really well in the past. And now there are all these different nuances and layers that you're going to have to explore in 2024, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. I love. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the signal for me is when I want to walk away 
because I'm disgusted by an ideology or I feel like we keep spinning in the same mud or that person just can't see it. You know, whatever I'm making up in my mind, I think the next level development for me is seeing that not as an opportunity to eject or walk away, but as an opportunity to step closer. I believe that the spirit roams untamed among us and around us. Mm-hmm. And I don't have the time and the capacity to step toward every single relationship with every single ideological other in my world. But I'm positive that the spirit is speaking invitation to walk towards some. And for us everyday peacemakers, that begins with the ideological other within your wingspan because he or she or they already exist there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so I think that's the invitation here for others is like that person exists within your wingspan. What does it mean to take a step closer to them, not in order to conquer them, but to be curious, Mm -hmm. to grow the capacity of your own compassion and empathy, if nothing else? Let it be an experience of our own formation and then watch what happens as a result of that relationship. I love that you use that phrase, curious. We've said curiosity. And staying curious often. But I think that a good and right question for us to have in to processing God's presence is, am I afraid of my curiosity? Am I afraid of what changes will come because of my curiosity? Because I can sense in my own self sometimes, well, I don't want to, I don't want to be curious about that. Like, I don't want to explore that because everything is going to change. Like, my assumptions are going to be challenged. And I'm afraid of that change because I'm very comfortable where I am. Or I'm afraid of learning more about that person's position because maybe my position, like I will shift off of this position that feels really right for me. And so I I think doing that work of, as like Steph Williams O'Brien says in her book, Stay Curious, like doing that work of staying curious and not being afraid of curiosity, Mm -hmm. but trusting that the God who was with you to get you to this point, we'll still be with you into your curious journey. And you'll be an even fuller, more authentic expression of yourself yeah. on the other side of this discovery. Yeah. I think that is the work of a peacemaker. It's yes. just staying in that. Yes. Which requires of us, I think, to live with the posture that I am never fully right and I'm always partially wrong. Yes. You know, like if I can hold on to that posture, that's going to inform not only the questions I ask, but the posture in which I ask them, you know? So I think yeah. we could do myriad episodes on <laughs> all that we said yes, right we now. G- give us give us one way, at least in which you're thinking about 2024. Oh, gosh. So the one thing that I have noticed in a conversation that I have found myself having with my directees, with my friends and my own spiritual director and that have just kind of emerged into different spaces is this idea of letting go and leaving spaces, communities, relationships, jobs that are not good for me or for us and having the confidence to say It was good while it lasted, but it's no longer good. And I have to move on. So this idea of like letting go and saying no and leaving with a sense of gratitude or letting go with a sense of gratitude for all that I had with that space or with that person or even with that idea 
saying, you know, thank you for what that was, but you're not serving me anymore. And I cannot bring you into this mm. next season or space of my life. So there's a relationship that I have lost and it's quite complicated. And there's a lot of like differing perspectives and commitment to each other. It's a friendship that it was never the friendship that I thought it was. And it is no longer mm. an important friendship in my life. And going through that was really difficult, but it was really good because now I'm on the other side. There's so much clarity in the letting go and to think of them or to say their name, like it still hurts, but it doesn't gut me the way that it did when the initial kind of like our friendship has significantly shifted. When that event happened, I left an organization that I was a part of and a job with that organization and, and they're doing beautiful and wonderful things, but I just realized my time with them has come to an end and who I am fundamentally, the way that I am wired as a person, the calling that I have just doesn't fit in where they're going. And that was really hard because I really loved being a part, but it just doesn't fit in my future. And then there are just a couple of ideas, projects, things that I'm working through that I'm like, oh, you are different. The way that I initially conceptualized you and I worked to like create you to be, you're not forming, but like, I'm going to have to shift this thing or add this you know, additional piece to it or just get rid of this idea altogether and in in order to like fully live into my calling and, and identity in 2024. And so, yeah, just it's so interesting that my New Year's act of embodied peacemaking is this pruning, this letting go. I was actually offering spiritual direction with someone and she was talking to me about farming and she was talking to me about how she had to cut some branches off of a tomato vine because they were weighing the vine down. She didn't want to do it, but her daughter was like, you have to, it's putting too much stress on the main branch. Like you have to cut these off. And she was like telling me like, oh, I was going to go, I was cutting it. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, cut them down and take those tomatoes and turn it into tomato sauce. No, like do something with the thing that you're cutting off. And she was actually, she's, then she surprised me. She went on to say, actually, I was told to like cut them and let them fall to the ground because they nourish the ground so that more of what is actually mm. needing to be grown from that branch can grow. Like wow. let it fall so that it can nourish the thing that's already there. Like don't turn it into something else. Oh. And I was like, okay, God, seriously. And so that is kind of how I am approaching loss and saying no and setting boundaries and moving on by saying, I'm going to cut you off and just let you fall to the ground. Like, I'm not going to cut you off and try to transform you into something else that works into my life, but just completely like say, thank you and goodbye. And you can fall to the ground. And as you fall to the ground, like the thing that needs to be nourished will be oh, nourished. It'll grow stronger. That is such a profound illustration. Like, right? I, oh my gosh, I'm so moved. It just awakened in me the myth that quantity is the objective. You know, the quantity of the fruit is what we're yes. actually going for. When in fact, that process, it centers quality, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and ooh, what a mindset change. So get, get really practical for us here, because I'm certain that many of us are listening in right now, just being like, okay, or maybe I'm just curious, walk us through two <laughs> different processes. Number one. How did you discern that a season had concluded? 
Okay. What's your process of discernment? And then the second question is around grief. Mm. Uh, because releasing or letting go is not a robotic experience. It's your emotions are connected to it. And so mm-hmm. the process yeah. of releasing, walk us through like your process of grief in that. So I will say to the first question, that is the work the spirit and I are going to be doing this year is me saying first to myself, it's time to move on or it's time to adjust or it's time to to say no or set a boundary because I will hang on. I have like this really high value of integrity of being like, I am in it. I am loyal. Like you can count on me. I want to be the one that is there when we turn the lights off. Right? You know, like I think my main branch was being weighed down a lot, was being pulled over a lot by the things that I was hanging on to. So the work for me in 2024 is that work of discernment of actually listening to myself. Because now as I look back, like with that relationship and with that org, as I look back, there were moments leading up where the spirit was like, this is not working for you anymore. And I remember that there were distinct moments where I would open up my email account and be like, I have to do that thing for that. And just like, just the gut, the pit in my stomach of like, oh gosh, I have to respond to that email or I have to do that or I have to like... And not listening to that, just pushing past that and being like, I'm just tired or whatever. When really that was part of the discernment process of the spirit saying like, yeah, you're not able to be fully comfortable as yourself in this space. So that's just personally for me is 2024 is learning to listen to those cues and learning to listen to the people in my life who at those moments were like pointing out, wow, you sound kind of like overwhelmed by that. Or wow, like you haven't talked to that person in a while, but like, you're doing this thing for them. <laughs> Why are you doing this thing for them? Like listening to that and not explaining it away. Just checking my ego. Honestly, checking my ego of wanting to be like the most bestest, perfect helper in the world. You know, that unhealthy two-ness in me. So that's the work of that discernment process. But I will say going forward, now I know, listen to my body, listen to my people. And more self-reflective time, like more time of journaling and processing along with God and not just staying busy and going from thing to thing. The grief piece, I have this spiritual practice, and I've described it here before, where I just imagine Jesus like taking something that I've been holding on to really tightly and taking it away from me and just going off in a hot air balloon with it. I just have this picture of like, okay, Jesus, I'm giving this to you. And so that's always the first line of defense for me is giving the thing or the hurt or the person over to Jesus and being like, you take them. But their memory and all that still stays within me. And so the next part of my grief practice is that gratitude of going back and saying, man, I did really good work there. That was a really fun podcast interview, or I got to know this person with that org. And being able to just say, yeah, God, thanks thanks for the good work of peacemaking and showing up as my full self that I was able to do then. Mm-hmm. And I trust that I'll have other opportunities like that in other spaces. God, thank you for the really good conversations I had with this friend and the way that they sharpened me and the things that we shared. And I trust that you'll bring another friend or a similar friendship like that to me in the future. So mm-hmm. trusting it to Jesus and gratitude have been my grief process. Mm. It was so practical. Just to reinforce this, like your process of discernment, you said, listen to my body, listen to myself, listen to my people. And then navigating grief. And this is a theme that I've heard you reinforce repeatedly is cultivating a relationship with it, not trying to displace it or remove yourself from it, but like develop a relationship with the grief. And the way that you process grief in this regard is to practice gratitude. 
you know, speaking to the gifts. That's super, super practical. Good stuff. Give me, pull a thread, pull a thread from this conversation for yeah, our community so, of everyday peace. Oh my gosh. So you and I, we are, we are at the precipice. You like this word. We, you know, like we're jumping into 2024 now, having lived a month into it, having sat with the spirit and been like, okay, how are we being formed? Where are we being challenged? And I love it because there, there are two kind of different spaces. Like mine is kind of an introspective and learning to be my full whole self as a beloved. Yours is communal and relational learning to take your belovedness into spaces to proclaim others' belovedness. And, and both of us are like, we want to create reflection of the beloved community in our context. We both want to be really healthy and really thoughtful about it. I think the big thread that you and I are pulling is that it's really important for you to have a space, a place, a person, a process, having some way of doing self-reflective work. Mm-hmm. Whether that's journaling, spiritual direction, therapy, whatever, like find a means of self-reflection that works for you, that you can show up for regularly and consistently and honestly, and do that work of saying, how am I doing? What is going on with my life? And how am I responding? I talked about the examine. You talked about retrospect. So I think that has been the big thing is if you have not carved out time, Lent is coming up. It's a great time to be self-reflective especially in a season that asks you to give up something to hold on to something greater. So that has been our big thread. And then I think our next thread is always, you know, honoring the belovedness and the Imago Dei of others, because that is the purpose of our peacemaking. Yeah. And so what needs to adjust and shift in your life for 2024 so that you have capacity to do that well that should be your goal for 2024. So sit and ask yourself, how can I love my neighbor better? And how, what does look, loving my neighbor and my context look like? And then I think the last one is just curiosity, which I think you and I will speak to a lot through this year in the podcast of addressing some of those questions, staying curious, inviting our listeners along on our journey of learning because you're curious peacemakers. Mm-hmm. And the only other thread that I think I would add to this conversation is more of something I'm just observing in it is that too often I think the work of peacemaking is overly sensationalized as these big actions and massive policy changes and lives saved. All of that stuff is good and important. But like that stuff is happening because of the micro dosing of formation that peacemakers are committed to. And yeah. as I'm listening to this conversation, what we're doing here is talking about the unseen work that you and I at least are trying to do to become the kinds of people such that peacemaking is our habit. Yeah, It's the way yeah. that we simply show up into the world. And friends, yeah. that's the invitation that we're putting in front of us is this: this isn't about tips and tricks and scripts. This is about a process of becoming the kinds of people who give our lives for the sake of repair as a habit, as a way of being. And I'm not saying that you and I are there yet, but we're committed to becoming that. And and I'm super grateful for it. Yes. And amen. So friends, we hope that you practice the examine or do your version of the retrospect or do your version of self-reflection and We bless you in that. We bless you and we trust the wildness and the movement of the spirit in your life as you are becoming an everyday peacemaker. Tearing down walls, building up.
Hey friends, we wanted to bring your attention to a couple things coming up. First and foremost, Global Immersion in partnership with several organizations around the world are moving beyond platitudes to putting our bodies in solidarity with those who are suffering in Gaza. There's a initiative called the Pilgrimage to Ceasefire that many of us are embarking upon and that you have access to as well. Whether you join in that pilgrimage in your own city or you design something for yourself, your friends and your faith communities. You can find the website in the show notes, but in short, we're inviting people around the world to take a 25 mile hike. That can happen in one shot or that can happen broken up into five mile segments or whatever works for you. But 25 miles is the length of Gaza. And we wanna put our bodies in solidarity with those who are suffering this pain, this horror, this senseless violence. And so if you and your people are interested in taking that walk with a global community of peacemakers, check our show notes where you can access that website and get involved. Secondly, we're thrilled to be partnering with CCDA in creating a devotional journey for Holy Week. It's a resource that's gonna contain some scripture readings, a written reflection by an author, some breath prayers and some art to reflect on. This is gonna be for you, for all of us, a community of peacemakers who are taking a shared journey toward the cross and resurrection on Holy Week. The devotional will be available in March. The Everyday Peacemaking Podcast is a production of Global Immersion and is made possible by our Embers community of monthly donors. Sincere thanks to The Brilliance for use of their song, Turning Over Tables. Learn more about the work of Global Immersion, forming everyday peacemakers and reconciling leaders to mend divides at globalimmerse.org.